jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. Arts and culture. The Manhattan Millennial Book Review with host Anuja Jaswal on jasoncharles.net This is Anuja Jaswal, your host of the Manhattan Millennial Book Review, here on jasoncharles.net arts and culture shows. On this episode, I will be reviewing The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. So this was Toni Morrison's first novel, and it was published a little under 50 years ago now, in 1970. Morrison died late last year, and this prompted a series of reflections on her immense role in shaping literary and popular culture. So I thought it was apt to return to the start of her career by reviewing her first novel. I want to start this review by referring to Morrison's slightly better-known novel, Beloved, which I first read around the summer. When I finally got around to reading The Bluest Eye, that was the Toni Morrison I had in my head the Pulitzer-winning, widely acclaimed literary giant. And it was an illuminating experience to go back to the beginning of her career, before all of the success. But the most striking thing was how similar they felt. Now, setting aside the apparent differences in plot and structure, the experience of reading The Bluest Eye was familiar. Marston's words washed over me in a similar way. Her work was just as vivid and full of life as later in her career. The other similarity that I noted, and this is a more somber thing, was the narrative's proximity to now. Unfortunately, even half a century later, Morrison's observations about the devastating effect of impossible beauty standards for young black girls hold true. Now, for those of you that haven't read it, here's a basic plot summary of The Bluest Eye. At the very start of the novel, it seems to be a simple story about Claudia narrating the life of Piccola Breedlove. Claudia resists Eurocentric beauty standards, she destroys white dolls, whilst Piccola painstakingly prays for blue eyes. And as the novel progresses, this plotline is complicated. Morrison delves into the lives of Piccola's relatives, her mother, her father. She also brings in other characters and explains their lives thoroughly. But I think where the novel ends and where it begins, throughout it does seem to be these two girls with a contrary relationship and a contrary internalization of Western beauty standards. I think that conflict remains at the heart of the novel. All of that being said, according to Morrison, you can find the entire plot on the first page. And I heard, I read this quote before I started the novel. And I do think it's true. Um, I don't think that means that it's not worth reading. I think for me, I wasn't so concerned with what was happening, but in how she told me what was happening and how she pulled me through this narrative, just the emotions and the rise and the fall of them. I think when I say the experience of reading Morrison, I don't necessarily mean, you know, just my investment in the characters and the ups and downs of their lives, but rather that she really takes you on some kind of journey and that you have some sort of emotional experience whilst reading it. I would like to take us to some moments that stayed with me after reading Morrison's novel. The first one concerns a simple moment of description. Their conversation is like a gentle, wicked dance. Sound meets sound, curtsies, shimmies, and retires. Another sound enters, but is upstaged by still another. The two circle each other and stop. 
Sometimes their words move in lofty spirals, other times they take strident leaps, and all of it is punctuated with warm pulsed laughter, like the throb of a heart made of jelly. The edge, the curl, the thrust of their emotions is always clear to Frida and me. We do not, cannot know the meanings of all their words, for we are nine and ten years old. So you watch their faces, their hands, their feet, and listen for truth in their faces. Now that's just the first passage of a longer paragraph about conversation. But my question is, can any other author make you see a conversation like this? Her words really capture the childlike curiosity of her characters. And I think this passage happens quite early on in the novel, but it really stayed with me because of the way in which she draws you into her narrative. And honestly, you never really leave the world of her characters. And it's probably due to moments like this. Morrison's description of the breed loves really gets to the heart of one of the most tragic things about this novel. You looked at them and wondered why they were so ugly. You looked closely and could not find the source. Then you realized that it came from conviction, their conviction. It was as though some mysterious all-knowing master had given each one a cloak of ugliness to wear, and they had each accepted it without question. The master had said, you are ugly people. They had looked about themselves and saw nothing to contradict that statement. Saw, in fact, support for it leaning at them from every billboard, every movie, every glance. Now, the theme of ugliness runs throughout the novel. And Morrison, through her description of almost every character in her work, really explores the destructive impact of beauty standards. And I think it's quite pertinent to the beauty industry now. And I think, sadly enough, her focus on conviction rather than any actual source of ugliness is still really relevant to the ways in which people internalize ideals nowadays. The metaphor of a mysterious, all-knowing master giving them a cloak of ugliness and them accepting it without question is particularly heartbreaking, I think, because it's the lack of resistance that allows them to continue moving through life knowing that they're ugly and because they think that they're ugly, all the other characters in the novel treat them as such. And I think by setting up this sort of circular process, Morrison alludes to a wider problem in society that unfortunately still persists now. One of the central themes of the novel is how Morrison's narrator, Claudia, deals with the westernized beauty standards imposed on her by the outside world. She used to destroy fair dolls in her childhood, resisting the worship that everybody around her had for fair skin and blue eyes. Claudia used to destroy these dolls in her childhood as though trying to get to something deeper, as though trying to destroy the thing that made these dolls beautiful and not her, a black child with darker hair, darker skin and darker eyes. And her hatred or resistance, I suppose, develops into a disdain for Maureen Peel, who is a mixed race girl at school, who is adored by parents and peers and aunts alike because she's more light skinned and has slightly more Western features. And Claudia's insight about her hatred of Maureen Peel is really striking here. It's, it's quite extraordinary for a 10 year old, I would even say. She says the thing to fear was the thing that made her beautiful and not us. So at the end of an encounter, she finds a way to redirect her anger away from this person and to direct it towards this thing. I think for a 10-year-old narrator, 
at this point to recognize that the problem lies not with the person but with the ideals or the pressures that made her seem beautiful and appealing rather than her was just an it, this was an incredible point in the novel i remember reading this passage and having to pause and read it again because i thought it explicated the problem that morrison was trying to portray in such a clear and vivid way now as a woman of color who grew up sort of struggling with different colorist standards certainly not the same ones experienced by black girls but there is an overlap in the veneration of i suppose fair skin and fair hair it took me much, much longer to name the thing. And to read this novel at the age of 22, you know, after unlearning all of those toxic things, and to see Morrison putting these words into the mouth of a 10-year-old child, there was something really powerful in that, I felt. I think that Claudia is a foil to the other main black girl character in the novel, Bacola Breedlove, who really internalizes the ideals. And she prays for blue eyes incessantly, throughout the novel. In fact, she prays for the bluest eye, which is where the title of the novel comes from. And I think that the opposition of these two girls is important, but I also thought that it was incredible that Morrison chose to narrate this novel, not from the perspective of the tragic character who prays for blue eyes, but actually from a narrator who, from a very young age, finds a way to resist these ideals, despite not being able to name the thing, but knowing that there is something wrong with the arbitrary binary setup here, I suppose. Here's something to note. There are no white characters in this whole novel. And I wonder if that's surprising or even difficult for some people to believe. And actually, when this novel first came out, Morrison was criticized for the narrowness of the perspective that she provided. And yet, throughout her life, Morrison was vehement about writing about black life and avoiding the white gaze, which is just another thing that makes her novels so powerful and so groundbreaking in a way. I mean, I spent a lot of time imagining characters as white until they were explicitly coded as something else, which really says something because I'm not white. Um, and this is something that I noticed around you know, 15, 16, and even then it's a difficult thing to resist that the eye of the narrator just always seemed to be a white person to me until I was told that they were of another race. And Morrison really challenges this assumption in a uniquely powerful way. She was troubled by the assumption that the reader was a white person. And I think it would have troubled her even more to know that even when the reader was a person of color, people still incessantly read whiteness into the eye of the narrator. And when you read her work, you enter a world where the dominant perspective isn't that of the white straight man which unfortunately, even today, is an extraordinary thing. But given that she wrote this novel in 1970, really seems incredible. Now, Morrison wrote a great variety of things throughout her lifetime, but she had a special love for the novel form. She said, no other art form allows us to enter and therefore dignify the inner life of another human being so thoroughly. And I think that's what she did for all of her characters. The background to the bluest eyes that she looked around and realized that there were no novels written about young black girls. There were novels written about black men and some novels written about young black boys, but all the novels about black girls seemed to be caricatures or comedies. She said that there were no works that she could turn to that gave her fleshed out versions of these characters. And so she wrote one. 
In the recent documentary, The Pieces I Am, about Toni Morrison's life, Morrison was quoted saying that the bluest eye is organized around a master narrative, an ideological script imposed by the dolls with white faces, fair hair, and blue eyes. She said that the message was, this is beautiful, this is lovely, and you're not it. And that's an enduring principle, I think. I think that there's a lot being done by doll companies nowadays. I know Barbie's doing a lot to bring in diversity into their lines. But the novel is sadly relevant because of the persistence of this message today. And I think what made this book really powerful to me was that it emphasizes the internalization of these ideals and the damage that this does to a child's psyche. And I think that that's a narrative that is still not really told nowadays. I think we focus on the messages that we're receiving and what we're saying to people, but we don't necessarily elaborate the long-term consequences of people internalizing these things and believing them for themselves. The idea that conviction is what makes someone ugly, I think is maybe still not talked enough about. And I think given the prevalence of Eurocentric beauty standards and colorism today, this is still a story that needs to be told. I was saying for days, I was saying, oh, if I had one word to describe this, it would be sad. I read this novel in two sittings, which I do not recommend unless you enjoy speed reading things. Because I think that the emotional impact of this novel stayed with me a long time after finishing it. You know, the power of some of these passages and these events and the things that she describes really stays with you long after. And for me, if I had to pick some adjectives to describe it, I'd return to sad. I'd say it's evocative. I think it's ironically really beautiful. And given the novel's concern with ideas of beauty and ugliness, I think that's a funny adjective to choose. And important, given everything that I've said about how it's still relevant to today's world, I also thought that on a much, much smaller scale, it was important for me to read this book. Like I felt like it really added something to my life and the way that I see the world and the way that I articulate you know, my experiences with colorism. I felt like reading this novel was really important to me in that way. I hope my review of The Bluest Eye has opened up this wonderful novel for you a little bit more. And if you haven't already, has inspired you to read some Toni Morrison. Now I read The Bluest Eye after Beloved. And I would say that if you've never read Toni Morrison before, for me at least, that was a good way to do it. Not because The Bluest Eye is Morrison's first novel. I was honestly surprised when I first picked it up and started reading and eventually finished it that it was her first novel. Because as I said at the beginning of this review, the experience of reading it is strikingly close to Beloved the power of her writing really doesn't change that much. I think The Bluest Eye really reflects how amazing Toni Morrison is as an author from the very outset of her career. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to send your comments, questions, or suggestions. On the next episode, I will be reviewing The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins. Until next time, this is Anuja Jesswal from Uptown Manhattan for the Manhattan Millennial Book Review. Happy reading. See you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Manhattan Millennial Book Review with host Anuja Jaswal on jasoncharles.net. For more information about Anuja Jaswal, check out her Instagram at anujajaswal1997, spelled A-N-U-J-A-J-A-I-S-W-A-L-1997.
1997. JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.